where I find inspiration changes on almost a book to book basis, you know, and it's, and it's not always even just the author themselves, but sometimes it's the other works that are quoted within things that I'm reading. But I'm always, always drawn to, you know, Stephen King and, you know, some of the romance greats. And there's just so many amazing authors out there that all you have to do is just go to your local public library, your local bookstore, and in every aisle, you're going to find someone who if you take the time to read it and study it, you're going to find a wealth of inspiration within those pages. Welcome to the Juxtapose Journeys podcast, and happy Valentine's Day in this first ever bonus episode. I'm your host, Eric Spitz. And in this episode, I talk with Katherine Hallberg. Katherine is a contemporary romance author based in Dayton, Ohio. She's the mind behind the Eller series, releasing Animal Attraction back in June, with the sequel Hidden Agenda being released tomorrow, February 15th. Our conversation ranges from what inspired her to write romance fiction to begin with, to her creative process with writing and character development, along with her eclectic sources of inspiration, and how she's able to balance work and other life duties with her writing. Be sure to check out all the links in the show notes to find more information about her books and stay updated on all of her exciting projects that she has in the works. With all that in mind, just sit back, relax, and get ready for Katherine Hallberg's journey as a romance author. All right. Welcome to the Juxtaposed Journeys podcast, and first of all, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down and chat with me today. Oh, absolutely. It's my pleasure. Awesome. Yeah. Now, we are here to talk about all of the wonderful things you have in the works as a contemporary romance author, but before we get into that, I want to know a little more about your path and how you got to where you are. You have more than a decade of experience writing for others until you finally reached a point where you wanted to be in control of your own narrative. Can you talk a little more about the style of writing you used to do before being a romance author? Absolutely. Uh, a lot of people talk about how they always knew they wanted to be an author. They always knew they wanted to be a writer. Um, that was not my experience at all. <laughs> <laughs> so my background is in marketing and copywriting, um, working in higher education. So I have a lot of background in writing things like brochures, advertising, I write a lot of what's called view books for higher education. So the big, thick mailers that you get from universities, that's, that's what my background is in. Huh. So when I turned 40, <laughs> a couple of things happened. <laughs> I worked for a public university and there had been a faculty strike. Um, and it was very lengthy, very time consuming, very involved. And for my position, I'm director of social media. So I'm one of the few people who actually was out there speaking and interacting with others on behalf of the university, which made me a target, so to say. Hmm. So it painted some targets on me and it was not a very favorable target, obviously, because, you know, I was speaking on behalf of quote unquote, the man, which if you know me, I'm so laid back that for me, it was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> but you know, the people who were really involved in the strike, they painted a target on my back and they were saying, you know, how can you have a social media person who's making this much money? It's more than I make as an English faculty member. And I've published books. And I was like, Hmm, how hard is it to publish a book? <laughs> <laughs> So it kind of got me thinking, and it was not 
I wouldn't say it was anything vindictive, anything along those lines. It just made me think, you know, honestly, I've never even considered writing a book. So around the same time, I turned 40 and I thought, okay, I, I, you know, you're supposed to have this bucket list. You're supposed to have these things. And I thought, I'm just going to challenge myself to write a book. I'm going to write one book. So I Googled, what, how many words do you have to write for it to be considered a book? I was like, oh, 60,000 words. I could do that. No problem. <laughs> so it's kind of ironic because I spent probably two months writing my first book. And then I, you know, it took about a month to write my second book. And it took me about a year to write my third book. So it, it's just one of those things where I was like, I really don't know what the heck I'm doing, but it's fun. And a couple people who I let read my books were like, these are really good. And I had no <laughs> idea what to even do with it from that point. And I just fell into it on Twitter because I work in social media. Uh, I'm very active on Twitter, Instagram, all of those. So I had seen somebody tweet about a pitch fest and I was like, what the heck is a pitch fest? So, <laughs> you know, I, I started looking into it and saw that, you know, a lot of times agents and publishers will go onto Twitter and just read what your pitch is about your book. Somehow I lucked into having a publisher, Gen Z Publishing, reach out to me and was interested in my book. And now, two years later, I've got one book out and my second book about to be published February 15th. Mm -hmm. It's been a very strange up and down journey that started as just a challenge to myself to see if I could write a 60,000 word book. And it turned into 80,000, 90,000 words. And now there's, you know, now I'm working on my fifth book. So you just don't know what, where the life is going to take you. <laughs> no, for sure. And that's such an interesting journey. Wow. I didn't know a lot of those details about being in higher education and doing that sort of more marketing style writing and writing for brochures. I actually studied marketing myself. I majored in marketing, minor, minored in professional and technical writing. But then I would do freelance work and write for music magazines. And they're two totally different styles of writing, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> no, that's that's so interesting. I feel like we come from a similar background in that regard of, you know, having very marketing style focused writing or having some experience in that sort of realm of more professional style writing with that. So that's really interesting. Now, I, I feel like being a writer and... Well, in terms of what you were doing before of, of writing on behalf of a university and doing more social media work, that's, you know, a lot different style of writing compared to just publishing books <laughs> and things like that. Oh, absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about the process of publishing your first book, Animal Attraction? Yeah. So my first book, Animal Attraction, is a contemporary romance. And it was almost a little embarrassing to like first tell people that I was writing a contemporary romance book. <laughs> I live in a very conservative area. I you know, work with a lot of very conservative people. You know, and most of my day-to-day -day work is about promoting how wonderful and down-to-earth and conservative this university is and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So you know, the process of writing this book was very liberating to me. It was definitely an opportunity to, I didn't realize that writing a book was as fun and as engaging as reading a book. <laughs> uh, so once I started creating these characters in my head, sometimes it would be like I was actually having conversations with these characters. And sometimes I'd have to stop writing for a day or two because 
the character would stop talking to me. Like maybe they'd be upset or they'd be like, come on, I just want to kiss him. (laughs) (laughs) So it's always been a little bit odd to me to have to marry these two sides of my life, this kind of more conservative, professional, outward facing versus my internal, like this bevy and this swarm of like characters who are very passionate and want to have all these new romances and these new loves in their lives. And then balancing that also with being a mom and being, you know, I'm a team mom for one of my kids' football teams. Like there's just so many different things to balance. So for me, it was this whole process was learning how to compartmentalize the different parts of my personality, the different parts of who I was Mm -hmm. and really focusing in on, okay, for the next hour, I am a romance author. (laughs) (laughs) And then for the, you know, checking these emails to and from my publisher and just realizing, holy crap, they're actually going to publish my book. Now what do I do? (laughs) And going back and forth with the editors, going back and forth with beta readers, the whole process is very new to me. It was not something that felt organic. It was not something that I just was like, oh, I get what's happening here. You know, they would send me a round of edits. I'm like, is this it? Is Is this the final part? And then they'd be like, oh, here's another round of edits. (laughs) And it was interesting and it was kind of like they were giving me training wheels. Mm -hmm. I was getting these wheels to add on to this forward momentum that I had already established and I was just praying that I could hold on to the handlebars long enough (laughs) to not fall off the stinking bike. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, that's, that's so interesting. Yeah. And going with a smaller publisher too, it was a very different process than I'd anticipated and it's just been a lot of fun and a big learning experience. Yeah. No, I can completely understand that. I still don't consider myself an expert in the publishing realm by any means. But yeah, I just know there are a lot of caveats with it that I'm just really not familiar with. And I think you pretty much confirmed that. With, with There's so many things that, that go on with it. And you're just kind of learning and, and growing along the way as you kind of do that back and forth with your publisher. So it's a really interesting and, and cool journey that you're on for sure. And I think you touched on a little bit in your answer previously as well about your overall writing process. So it sounds like, do you designate time to sit down and write or do you do it when you feel inspired? How does that routine generally work for you? It helps that I'm an insomniac. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Same here. It really, it really does. So, you know, I work all day for my nine to five job. Then I do all the mom stuff and all the sports stuff. And after dinner, after the kids go to bed, I would pull out my laptop and I would sit in my recliner and I'd watch TV and maybe I'd feel inspired and I'd just start typing out the next scene, the next chapter. Or I'd start thinking, you know, what is this character's flaw? I'm really big on, I I can't identify with people who are perfect. Every character, every every component of every one of my stories, there's got to be what is the realistic flaw that this person has and what is this person trying to achieve? And that is a very self-exploratory process because uh, you can't write about things that you can't identify with. Mm-hmm. So for me, even the the quote unquote bad guys in my stories, there's still people who have traits that you like. They're still going to have flaws. They're going to have parts of themselves that I'm drawn to. And every single person, good or bad, nobody is fully good. Nobody's fully bad. Mm-hmm. So it's exploring what it is that makes us who we are and letting parts of me bleed through to each of those. And it's, it's interesting to, 
give life, breathe life into these people and let them take what started as a part of me and evolving into something that I'm like, wow, who are you? <laughs> you know, sometimes I look back at some of the words I've written. I'm like, gosh, I wrote that. That's that's pretty darn cool. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. No, definitely. And that's really interesting. I actually identify with a lot of that as well, because I'd I'm a hardcore night owl. I do a lot of my writing and a lot of my creative outlets at night, pretty much after my daily routines are done. I would love to reach a point to where I'm I'm just this gung-ho morning person that just wakes up super early to do all of these things for myself and do all this writing, but that rarely ever happens. It, it just turns into me just staying up late and backloading my days, essentially, which, <laughs> mm-hmm. not to make assumptions about you or anything, but it sounds like you have a similar process with... You have your, your normal daily routines, and then it's it's at night when you're just kind of sitting with your laptop and writing out some of these thoughts and ideas, or maybe doing a chapter or so, breaking it up that way. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, I, I started writing fiction as a way to just break free. I'm, I'm a little bit of a workaholic when it comes to my day job. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it was a way for me to force myself to turn off social media for a little bit. And to just open up a blank Word document. And that's a terrifying thing, looking at a blank page. Oh, yeah. It's terrifying, (laughs) but it's also exciting, wondering what you're going to put on that page. How are you going to fill up the story? How are you going to breathe life into these these people who you want to see them succeed? You want to see them be happy? And it's a little trippy to know that that's all just happening inside my head. (laughs) Like, am I a (laughs) weird person? Maybe, maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) No, for sure. I'm glad you brought all that up, honestly, because that's something I was thinking about when preparing all these questions and putting all this together. But how did the how would you say the transition worked from writing something very, I guess, polished and professional, like something on behalf of a university to writing fiction? Did that kind of change your overall writing process? Did you approach anything differently when it came to, I guess, formulating your characters and stories? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, So for my my work for a university, we have uh, a lot of people who work in marketing are familiar with editorial style guides or mm-hmm. design guides, brand books. So you're always working within a construct. Uh, you mm-hmm. have your common language that you use. You have the common identity, the common brand, these building blocks that you're always using the same blocks, but just trying to build something new with those same exact blocks. Mm-hmm. When you turn your view, uh, I turn my like eye of Sauron and suddenly I'm looking at a room that is just filled with things that are not blocks. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's clouds, there's <laughs> bread cubes, there's cheese, there's, you know, there's <laughs> bottles of wine in there. And I'm like, Oh Lord, what do I do with all this? It's kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like going into like jungle gyms or going into a huge massive grocery store and you're like I could try some of that or let's let's see what's down this aisle and see if we can play with some of those things mm-hmm. so it's definitely going from something that has a very preset notion of what you're trying to accomplish a shared vision to going to okay there is no real vision here yet but mm-hmm. let's see what I can make yeah <laughs> it's left overnight right yeah <laughs> but then you start looking at well, if I'm going to write something, I mean, it's got to have a beginning, a middle and end, and it's got to fit into a specific genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're going to write a story, you have to choose what is your genre. So you have to write what you like reading. Yeah. I am a very eclectic person. You know, my I have backgrounds in chemistry, communications, business, mathematics. Like I have all these things. And 
I read like that too. I read a little bit of all different types of fiction, nonfiction, but I'm always drawn to romances. Even when I was a little girl, my mother would take us to the library and we would pick out all of these, all these sweet romance books. And, you know, I was probably 10 or 12 years old reading my first Harlequin romance book. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just little pieces of who you are that come through in whatever you do for your livelihood. Um, I'm fortunate that I don't have to be able to make a livelihood with these pieces of who I am, mm -hmm. but it's pretty darn cool that other people were like, you know, it's good enough that maybe somebody else would be interested in reading, you know, what this crazy part of your brain is spewing out. Mm -hmm. Um, so <laughs> I guess it's leftover night meets, uh, the library and just seeing what happens there. Yeah, no, I, I think you summarized that really well, honestly, just because that's, that's always the way I've kind of envisioned it as well is of just having that shared vision and doing some sort of work for the university or doing some sort of, I guess, professional style writing. That's a bit more cut and dried. It's a shared vision type thing. And you have these sort of parameters that you're working within, but they're virtually never a never ending amount of possibilities in the world of fiction. And it's exciting, but it's also overwhelming at the same time. And I think that's why I've always kind of struggled with it personally, with my background to write fiction. It's something I've always thought would be really cool to do. And maybe it's just because I'm wired like a journalist, but you know, I, I wired to ask questions, put someone else in the spotlight and form a narrative based on my understanding of that person and our interaction. But when I took a creative writing class in college, I had to sit down. I'm sure I didn't do this in the in the way I was supposed to by any means, but I would just sit down and just start writing this fictional story. You know, didn't really have much of an outline of where it was going to go or how the characters were going to be. And I just started writing and figuring it out as I went along and going back and rewriting or figuring out something else along the way. But yeah, I, I found that really interesting the way that you, you outline that for sure. <laughs> yeah, you know, you don't really know what you're outlining even sometimes it's just a single scene that just in my mind thinks what would happen if this if this took place <laughs> yeah you know and i i don't i don't write i'm not a journalist right so my background mm -hmm. is in marketing copywriting and it's you know how much message can you get across in the fewest words possible mm -hmm. so for me it was such a challenge to look at the word count of 60,000 words when most of what I write is how do I write, you know, something I can put on a billboard and get a huge message across in less than seven words. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a little bit terrifying to look at that juxtaposition of, you know, here's, here's this as concise and short as possible. And then here's me trying to tell a whole story, but still in my brain using cutting out all the fluff. I don't like mm -hmm. fluff and, and you know, and it's, super annoying when you're a copywriter and people are like, oh, you write the fluff. And I'm like, no, <laughs> we're about as anti-fluffy as you can get. <laughs> and that's one thing my editors kept sending back. They're like, no, you need to tell more. We need more. We need more. And I'm like, you want fluff, don't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, you know, creating a, an affinity for the fluff for the people mm -hmm. who like the fluff. Um, Cause yeah. when you're writing fiction, it's not just writing for yourself, it's writing for someone you've never met. And how do you fulfill their fantasies? How do you create this environment that they could picture themselves in? Mm -hmm. You know, I think um, maybe it was Stephen King some, who said, you know, your 
description of a scene should start with your words but end in their mind. Hmm. So you have to be able to give them enough fluff to build the rest of that environment. I went and dug up this quote, and it is in fact from Stephen King. And it goes, description begins in the writer's imagination, but should finish in the reader's. Essentially the same thing Catherine just said. If you're looking for more Stephen King quotes to get you inspired, I've provided a link in the show notes. Um, and that's something that I've really struggled with. And I, I'm still, when I'm editing my own work, I'm like, okay, am I, am I building enough of a setting for this? And it's having to relearn what fluff is because fluff is not, um, I still don't like fluff. I still don't put fluff in my books, but it's, <laughs> it's what kind of, what extra details can I put in that are going to add value to the story and add value for the reader? Yeah. No, I'm I'm so glad you brought up fluff in particular. And that's the first thing that came to my mind even before you said that word because that was something I would constantly hear in my professional technical writing classes in college because I was guilty of using fluff in different, you know, professional style documents which obviously you don't want to do in that realm. You want to make it as concise as possible. And doing some adjusting from that as opposed to, you know, writing more creative style fiction to where maybe you do want a little bit more fluff in that. So it's it's interesting that whole, <laughs> I guess, how the spectrum works in that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's a definite variation of what fluff means depending on mm-hmm. your context of where it's being used. It's It's a very interesting, I mean, it's almost philosophical when you start talking about fluff in text and it's, it's something I think only true word nerds can really dive into this. You know, I can talk to people for hours about M dashes and N dashes and semicolons, and I can bore <laughs> the paint off of anyone. <laughs> but it's it's taking everything from a different lens and figuring out how can I make this interesting to the characters involved and explain enough so that the reader can picture it in their mind and expound upon it to find their own happiness in it. Yeah, exactly. And I love the way you summarize that, too, of just telling enough of the story to where the reader can kind of connect the dots and formulate the rest of it in their own minds. Because I think having that balance truly is really important. I think of in the context of, of different films, like, I, I, yeah, I'm kind of like a, I consider myself to be like somewhat of an amateur film buff type thing to where I try to review and rate movies and what have you as I I watch them. But that's something I, I notice is such a huge aspect of different successful films that I really enjoy. It's like you don't want to overexplain yourself too much, almost. Mm-hmm. Like you want to, there to be some kind of, I guess, delicate balance there to where there's still some sort of lingering mystery, but they tell enough of it. At, at least that's my personal preference, anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's interesting because I've gone, I've been invited to book clubs um, where they've read my book, and oftentimes they want to know more behind the background of an individual character like why did this character do this and i you know my first thought is so well, why do you think they did that yeah because um, i feel yeah. like it's cheating if i tell them my reason behind it because my reason behind it doesn't have to match your reason behind it mm-hmm. you know i think the lives we live shapes how we perceive every situation mm-hmm. and my reasoning behind you know, the sky is blue might be very different behind your reason why the sky is blue. Yeah. You just don't know where everybody's coming from. And if you ask the author, if you ask the artist, you know, why is the sky blue? You know, maybe you don't want to know that that's the most paint I had left was that color. 
<laughs> right. You know, you don't, maybe you want to hear the big philosophical thing about the merging of the different colors of the rainbow and the prisms and blah, blah, blah. You know, mm -hmm. maybe you just want to know that it was a magical day. <laughs> and then <laughs> you don't know where people's minds are. So it's interesting when you get questions about the background of your characters and why they chose to do X, Y, or Z. And it's, it's like, well, you know, it is fiction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, th I think you summarized that really well. I, yeah, everyone has their own different paths and their own rationality and reasons for doing whatever it is they're doing or making the actions and decisions that they're doing. And, uh, you know, maybe sometimes the answer isn't as easy as it, as it may appear or may be even from the source material or, or from the author specifically. So, no, I, I like the way that you, you summarize that for sure. And I feel, <laughs> I feel like that's actually a, a general response from a lot of different creators as well when they get asked about their creative process or their creative decision for maybe some sort of visual or some sort of character or what have you. And, you know, they, they're never really one to specific. I don't I feel like most of the time they don't really come out and say, well, this is specifically the cut and dried reason why, you know, to a T 100 percent. It's always just very you know, open and, well, what do you think the interpretation is type thing? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, we get very into the Socratic, Socratic method and we're like, hmm, tell me why you believe this. Right. <laughs> Sometimes, and I, I learn from other people's suppositions about why this is happening. And they, you know, they're like, oh, well, clearly she has issues from this and this. And I'm like, hmm, clearly, maybe, maybe she does. I don't know. <laughs> I know. And then most of the time you find out something you may have never even thought about, or you see it from a perspective you never would have thought about before anyway, that may have not been your original intention. <laughs> yeah. But I do love though, when my original intentions do come across though. Yeah. I am very fortunate to live in an area where there are many affluent people and there are, one of the people who read my book said, you know, it's interesting because they are educated and they're very wealthy, but they still have the same problems as everybody else. Like, well, yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't matter where you live, how much money you have. It doesn't matter what your day job is. Every single person has the same insecurities. They all have the same questions, the same doubts. They have the same needs and how we convey those questions, those doubts, those needs. That's what's different. Mm -hmm. Being able to relate to people no matter what their background, their socioeconomic status, because we can relate to them on that basic human needs. Mm -hmm. You know, we need those basic needs met uh, no matter where you are in life. No, so true. And honestly, that's something I try to emphasize just even through this podcast and through this medium of just all of the different aspects that really connect all of us. You know, how we're wired, how we different think, how many similarities we have you know, focusing on that rather than all the different things that divide us or things that, you know, we're, we're opposed on or, or things that, that we have different viewpoints on or that we just have a different stance on or what have you. But instead, focusing on the things that we have in common and the things that bring us together or that we have those common thoughts on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess with moods and everything in mind, you have to be in a certain mood when you write. Do you find that different moods or feelings carry over into your writing? Oh, yeah. There's sometimes, uh, so I read a lot. And depending upon what I'm reading, there are times when I cannot open up my, you know, work in progress and start editing or writing because that will bleed through. Mm -hmm. um, right now I'm reading a paranormal romance series and I'm like, well, definitely cannot work on my book until I'm done with this series because this is, 
not going to mesh at all. <laughs> you know, or if there's something really hard going on, you know, when the pandemic began, I didn't write, I didn't open up one of my works in progress, my manuscripts, I didn't open them for probably the first nine months of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You know, we were all in a shared state of, you know, WTF, like at this point, right? Yeah. <laughs> so how did we start living again? Uh, how do we start breathing again? And how do we start being creative again? You know, there's definitely times in your life where whatever's happening outside your door is going to have an extreme effect on your work. Mm-hmm. And for a while, I even wondered, is there still going to be a market for romance books for people holding hands and kissing strangers, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some of these things I, I honestly thought about because I was like, gosh, am I, you know, do I need to go back through and rewrite my books in a way that makes it more acceptable for the new societal norms? Mm-hmm. You know, the way we live has changed. And it, does that need to be reflected in the fiction that I'm writing? It's very strange to think about these things. Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, in the context of the pandemic and given what you're currently writing about, yeah, I I can totally understand your viewpoint on is there still going to be a market for this Mm -hmm. based on where the world is right now and where everyone's headspace is. That's Yeah, that's really interesting to think about. And speaking of reading, I was going to ask you about that as well because I found you on Goodreads and I see you've been crushing your 2022 reading challenge. Oh, yeah. I congratulate you on that. So, yeah, so it sounds like you're reading a paranormal romance novel, which sounds really interesting. I'll have to (laughs) check that out myself. But now, is what you're reading revolve around what you're trying to get inspiration from, I guess, for your novels? I I do the two intersect with one another. No, not at all. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Gotcha. Yeah, if you... (laughs) If you look at my Goodreads list, you'll see a whole lot of historical romance. You'll see a lot of paranormal romance. You know, and I went to a writer's convention um, in Las Vegas a few months ago, and everybody was talking about the new big thing in romance is reverse harem. And I'm like, oh, I just cannot wrap my mind around this. In case you're unfamiliar with that term, harem is derived from the Japanese word harumamono, which is essentially a love triangle or polygamous type relationship. A harem is generally a male character with multiple female love interests. Therefore, a reverse harem is when a heterosexual female or gay male protagonist has multiple male love interests. More information about the genre can be found in the show notes. Like, romance should be, you know, boy meets girl or boy meets boy, you know, whatever gender you want to have. But, I mean, it should end up with just the two lived happily ever after, right? So I'm trying to read through this series and I'm, you know, skimming a lot of the pages. So I'm going through it pretty quickly. But it, but it's just interesting to see, like, this is what is like the top of the list right now. And spicy romance is these reverse harem books. And I'm like, oh, I am just not spicy enough for this. <laughs> <laughs> my sister described my writing as, you know, a venti vanilla latte, you know, <laughs> give me the, give me all of the vanilla spice. <laughs> So I keep trying to like open my mind up to these other genres and I'm like, oh gosh, it's, it's like embarrassing sometimes for me to read some of the stuff I'm reading. I'm like, I definitely can't write like that. And maybe I'm just too much of a good little Catholic girl in some parts. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really interesting. I, I guess I just had to ask about that. Obviously, based on what you were mentioning before, I, I gather that you, you gather inspiration from a wide variety of sources 
So <laughs> wonder if there was any correlation there, but it, it is funny though, because that's something I notice in myself a lot as well Is like, I get inspiration from a lot of random pieces that really don't relate to each other that well at all. Like, for example, I mean, you know, this is an interview style podcast, but a lot of the podcasts I typically listen to are, you know, paranormal, true crime, and just things about cryptids or weird dark history or something like that. Completely different than what I'm doing with this podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, I mean, obviously, I listen to some other interview style podcasts to get an idea of how I wanted to construct this show. But typically what I listen to 80 to 90 percent of the time is very much just, you know, supernatural, dark history type stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's <laughs> yeah. And I'm all over the place with with reading as well for what I find inspirational, what I'm currently reading. You know, right. I could be reading just a, a very controversial band book or I could be reading something about a very dry book about forecasting because I randomly find that interesting or something it's Mm -hmm. there's no telling (laughs) yeah but i think to be successful in any field you have to study the craft Mm -hmm. so for you that means exploring all the podcasts out there for me it means reading all these different genres and figuring out what people are reading and what they're connecting to right now yeah and seeing if there are components of that that can work in what i'm writing Mm -hmm. or if i can bend myself into a little bit more flexible space headspace for writing but ultimately it comes down to what works for me and I'm not worried about being a bestseller writer Mm -hmm. I'm just worried about telling a good story and something that I can relate to yeah and sometimes what I relate to is not always going to be the same thing that I want to read all the time so you just have to experiment and explore and I never regret reading anything that I've read everything you read everything you listen to all gets added into your toolbox and you have to respect great writing you have to respect the great craftsmen of your trade and I love just listening and you know one of the things I struggle with in with my writing you know I'll oftentimes look at other authors and other genres and see how they manage those so just looking at you know how many times can you actually say she glanced at (laughs) So (laughs) so I'm like all right, well, how do other authors, you know, make these transitions or show that this character is looking at somebody else without always saying she looked at or she glanced at? Mm-hmm. So how do you make these simple little things that you use hundreds and hundreds of times in every manuscript, how do you make those flow? Mm-hmm. How do you make them feel organic without using the same word over and over and over? Yeah. So those are the things yeah. I look for when I'm reading other genres, too. Yeah, no, I think that's really important, just being very well-rounded and trying to get some sort of inspiration or something from whatever your source material is or subject matter. And I love the way that you describe that, too, how you don't really regret anything that you've read because it all gets added to your toolbox, essentially. Mm-hmm. In, in, some, in one way or another, you take something from it. And I, I think that's a great way to describe it. And when you were talking about using different words to describe essentially the same thing all i could think about is i believe it was eminem who actually read the entire dictionary to have a more of a base for just words in general to learn as many words as possible to try to convey i guess his points in as many ways as he possibly could and i found that really interesting and admirable eminem even keeps stacks of scrap paper and boxes with scribblings of words and phrases he comes up with he calls it stacking ammo 
And did you know that the word Stan from his 2000 song in the same title has been added to the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary to describe a hyper-devoted fan? Talk about a wild full circle. Follow the links in the show notes to read more about it, and check out the interview he did with Anderson Cooper talking more about it. Anyway, back to the conversation. Yeah, <laughs> if I'd advocate everyone out there to read the dictionary, but it's just, I, I think the same parallel or same, you know, concept can be, can be taken away from that of just being well-rounded and taking, I guess, getting inspiration from so many different sources and in, in trying to convey your own message or trying to say it and trying to say the same thing in different ways. And yeah, I find all of those concepts extremely interesting. Yeah. And we all just need a really, really big thesaurus. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> now, are there any particular authors or books that you find inspirational or just some of your all-time favorite books or anything? Oh, goodness. If you ask me that question next month, I will give you a completely different answer. <laughs> Where I find inspiration changes on almost a book-to-book basis, you know, and it's not always even just the author themselves, but sometimes it's the other works that are quoted within things that I'm reading. But I'm always, always drawn to, you know, Stephen King and, you know, some of the romance greats. And there's just so many amazing authors out there that all you have to do is just go to your local public library, your local bookstore, and in every aisle, you're going to find someone who if you take the time to read it and study it, you're going to find a wealth of inspiration within those pages. Mm -hmm. Every single book on every single shelf. And sometimes that inspiration is telling you what you want to do. And sometimes it's inspiration telling you to walk away from something. Mm -hmm. And it's just fascinating to me that we get so hung up on individual names and individual books when what we should be doing is what can we turn to to learn our next big lesson? Yeah. And those don't always come from the big names. So it's it's just looking at what's around you and what can you absorb? What can you learn from this next thing? Yeah. I think that's a great way to summarize it for sure. Now, do you ever envision any of your books to exist outside of the dimension they're currently in and potentially be adapted into a screenplay or if, or if the opportunity were to present itself or anything like that? I'm pretty sure if you ask any author that, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, my book would be a great movie. Um, <laughs> but but I am also like, I honestly don't think I could ever see my books being on a screen somewhere, on a stage somewhere, because I don't want my dad to see that. <laughs> gotcha. Or my children, you know, I've got all, I've got three boys and I'm like, gosh, that would be kind of embarrassing for them probably. <laughs> <laughs> so i'm totally cool with people just reading what i write because then they can just close the book if it gets to be too much right <laughs> right you don't want it playing on in the background somewhere i guess or <laughs> yes <laughs> gotcha okay yeah no i'm always kind of curious about that i guess overall big picture vision for for some of these things but no that that uh <laughs> makes a lot of sense and now you mentioned it briefly previously about your second book in the Eller series, Hidden Agenda, which is being released on February 15th. So how has the process been of writing and publishing that book compared to Animal Attraction? Uh, it's kind of interesting because when they found out that the first book that they had signed on, which is actually the second book that I wrote, mm -hmm. the second book that I wrote was the precursor to the first book that I wrote. Okay. But that was the book where they saw the 
pitch for it and they're like, oh, well, let's read about this. And they love the dogs and it, you know, people love a good story that has cute animals. Mm-hmm. So when they were, I was completing the contract with them for that. I was like, oh, do you, do you want to see the second book? And they're like, oh, did you already write it? I'm like, yeah, I actually wrote the second book first. Um, okay. And they're like, so they like, <laughs> without even reading it, they sent me a contract for it. I was like, oh, Okay. <laughs> Maybe that means I'm a good writer. I don't know. (laughs) So they signed that one without even looking at it. They recently offered me a contract for my third book. I'm I'm still kind of exploring different options with that book. But Mm -hmm. it's just kind of fascinating to me that, you know, how hard it is to get your foot inside of any door when you're doing a creative craft like this. And then for something like that to just kind of fall into your lap, I'm like, wow, I don't know if I did something right. Somebody's looking out for me, but that's just craziness. <laughs> I'm very fortunate, very blessed, and I try not to take that for granted. Yeah, no, that's that's really cool, <laughs> especially like, yeah, I, I just imagine the back and forth with your publisher. It's just, yeah, do you want to see the second book? Like, yeah, they like just sent you the contract instantly. It's like, all right. <laughs> I know, it's it very surreal. <laughs> No, that's really cool. Yeah. Oh man, that's that's super exciting. And yeah, I'll have to be on the the lookout for that third book once once more details get through about you know how the process is going to go for publishing that. But I guess other than the release of Hidden Agenda on the fifteenth and that third book, you're kind of going back and forth on with with publishing and figuring out the details of that. Is there anything else currently on the horizon for you in terms of upcoming events or projects or anything that are that you're working on? Uh, well, I've also got my next, next spinoff series that I'm working on. So the first book, Animal Attraction, that's out already. I've had many, many people reach out to me and want to know what happened to the man that she did not end up with. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, so the people loved him. And I was like, okay, then. Um, so his story is currently in the works. And uh, it, it's 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 kind of a fun, different story than anything I thought he would be doing. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he's, his love interest is uh, a young woman who is, uh, who pretty much runs a construction site. So it's, it's been a learning curve for both myself and for the characters. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's fun to kind of figure out how can I give the fans of the first book, how can I make them feel okay about him not ending up with the woman from the first book. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. So I guess in this context, is it almost just a, one of the minor characters that, that is very beloved by, by your readers and by the community. And they're like, okay, I need to explore this character more and almost dive into this specific character more and what their interests may be or their intentions and, and doing something that way. So, oh, that's really interesting. I like it because it's all like the same timeline, though. So mm-hmm. uh, the Eller series, you know, you start off with the oldest sister and her relationship, and she ends up getting engaged in this first book. And then, you know, at the end of the third book of the series is where she actually gets married. And a- after that scene is where the spinoff series starts. Okay. So the man that she doesn't end up with, that's where the story picks up is right after she got married. Okay. Gotcha. I wasn't sure how it would work timeline-wise if all of this is happening behind the scenes while everything else is unfolding in the first few books or something. But okay. No, that that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> all right. Now, do you have, uh, I guess, any advice out there for any aspiring writers who may want to publish their own book someday? Hmm. Write for yourself. 
Mm -hmm. Don't write with the goal of getting published. Write a great story and write a little bit every day. You know, the hardest part of writing is just sitting down and doing the writing. Yeah. I hear from people all the time like, oh, I've got this great story idea. And I'm like, well, you know, everybody has a great story idea. It's do you have the dedication and the commitment to sit down and write the whole story from beginning to end? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you don't start at the beginning. Maybe you start in the middle. Yeah. But you have to start somewhere. And if you don't start, you'll never do it. You know, and I, I had a coworker before who was really, really interested in planning everything. She planned mm-hmm. everything. She outplanned everything. And at one point I looked at her and I'm like, you know, this is fantastic. I love all the planning you do. But at some point you have to stop planning and start doing. Mm-hmm. And that's a really hard concept sometimes to get beyond the point where you're thinking about doing something and just dive in and start doing it. There's nothing like writing the first page of a story or writing, you know, maybe you skip the first page. Starting it can be so hard, but just writing a scene. Or just doodling and making a list of what attributes this character has. Mm -hmm. You have to start somewhere. Yeah. So start big, start small. You just have to start and just see what happens from there. No, so true. Yeah, and I love that so much because I think it's, it's so easy to get caught in this analysis paralysis stage to where you just keep planning or researching or doing something, but not actually taking action, but doing all this prep work before going into it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important, like what you said, to reach that point to where you just say, I just have to take a step and actually do something. And I, I don't know about you or, or anyone else out there who may be experiencing that, but I feel like it's just, I think it's scary to make that step a lot of times because I think people are afraid to be vulnerable and to put something out there that, you know, they, they want it to be perfect before it's placed out there or something. But I think the sooner that you realize it's not going to be perfect when you release it is it's going to be so much easier to take that action and, and stuff and stop doing all this research and preparing and planning and just actually just start doing it and realizing there's going to be some stumbles or things you didn't expect along the way. Oh, yeah. And even when something's published. So my second book that's publishing, you know, some of the early reviews are like, I would have liked if this had happened. And I'm like, oh, that would have been really good. But, you know, now it's already published. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but that's how you learn. That's how you learn those things. Yes. And then maybe it's an idea to revisit later or something or do another spinoff series or what. Ha- I mean, but taking that initial step, I mean, you would have known that otherwise unless you put it out there. So that's. No, to your point, that's so important, though, of just actually taking action and doing it. And I think everybody has a good story within them. It's just whether or not they want to actually sit down and explore it and publish it and put it out there. Mm-hmm. There's so <laughs> many ways to publish now. I mean, you can self-publish. You can write something up, you know, format it and throw it onto Amazon and see what happens. But, oh yeah, you know, it doesn't matter what process you take. It's the actual process of getting the words on the page. Mm-hmm. You know, and everybody's so different. And it's it's very similar to, you know, I'm going to get healthy this year. I'm going to start working out. I'm like, well, I can say that until I'm blue in the face, but until I actually go downstairs and put my shoes on and <laughs> get on the treadmill, you know, it's not going to make a difference how I talk about it. It's not going to make mm-hmm. a difference how much I want to be healthy. It's the matter of I have to do the work to get to that point. Yeah. And the whole, it's hard. It is. It Sometimes it's... <laughs> Sometimes it means I'm sitting there, my whole family's in bed, and I'm sitting in my chair and typing away at 
2 30 3 o'clock in the morning and i have my alarm set at 6 30 to get my kids ready for school mm-hmm. you just yeah find the <laughs> dedication and you just plow through it yeah no so true i i mean i'm a marathon runner myself and sometimes i'll run into that to where I'm trying to plan which different races to do or what have you. And sometimes I'll just make that bold action on myself and I'll just be, because I'll be debating, oh, am I ready to do this race or should I do this? How am I going to figure out the logistics of the time off work? Sometimes I'll just sign up and book it and then think, well, I'm committed now. Now I got to figure it out. <laughs> so, yep. <laughs> I mean, the tactic works for me. I don't know if that tactic works for anyone else, but I almost just kind of putting myself in that position and being like, well, do I eat the couple hundred dollars and, and back out of it or do I just figure out a way to make it work? <laughs> yeah. Commit yourself to something, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> now, is there anything I forgot to ask about that you wanted to touch on before we get into plugins? Um, no, I think I'm we're pretty good here. All right. Sounds good. Now, where can people find your books, more information about yourself and anything else you want to plug? So my books are on Amazon. You can get them at Barnes and Noble. They're all over the place. But you can find all the information on my website, katherinehallberg.com. Or you can, you know, follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I'm always happy to chat and have lots of information I'm always throwing up there. And you're going to see stuff about my family, about my books. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very sociable in that way. <laughs> nice. It's a plethora of information. Yeah, I'll, de- I'll definitely make sure to throw all that in the show notes once this episode gets released. But yeah, once again, thank you so much for taking the time for this. You know, being a freelance writer for years, I love to pick the brains of other writers to hear their creative process. And I'm by no means an expert in the contemporary romance realm. So it was really enjoyable to understand a bit more about your process and the process in general and writing fiction in general, because it's something that's st- Definitely something I'm not an expert in either. So, no, I loved all your different takes and interpretations on that. It was all very eye-opening and and interesting to hear about. So I'm excited for the release of Hidden Agenda on the 15th, and I wish you nothing but the best in all of your future projects. Oh, thank you so very much. Yep. All right. You take care. All right. You too. Thank you so much for tuning in and checking out the show. Links to Catherine's website, socials, and other resources can be found in the show notes. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review for Juxtapose Journeys wherever you stream your podcasts. Any feedback is always welcome and appreciated, and it helps the show reach more listeners. It also keeps new episodes coming out. If you're an entrepreneur, creator, or live an interesting lifestyle, Send an email to juxtaposedjourneys at gmail.com with a brief description for a chance to be featured in an upcoming episode. Or you can find Juxtaposed Journeys on Podmatch and request an interview that way. The Juxtaposed Journeys logo was designed by Darius Norwood. The website was designed by Elise Benner. And music has been provided by Young Pioneer. Final mixing and interviews are conducted by yours truly, Eric Spitz. Thank you for listening, and remember to never stop exploring.